Hello, wonderful people. Welcome back to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. My name is Thomas Valentine. I'm excited to be back recording for the podcast. Um, I think this will be the last podcast we will have for just a little bit. Um, We might be taking a break for a couple weeks. Uh, We're going to be producing some original content um, with Kevin Griffin and a couple other teachers to go over some of the content we will be having on our panels at the Buddhist Recovery Summit, which is coming up in September. So we might be taking a break to organize and produce those podcasts, those talks. It'll be a conversation between Vimalasara and these speakers. So that's exciting and upcoming. But for now, I would like to share with you one of our Buddhist Recovery Academy talks by Stephen Tierney. So I hope you all enjoy. Um, And if you haven't already, the Buddhist Recovery Summit is coming up in September. So if you go to BuddhistRecoverySummit.org, you can find out more. Registration is open. Um, It's filling up. And yeah, so please do try to register soon so we can make sure to save you a spot. It'll be a really exciting event. Okay, hope to see you there. Okay, so yeah, so... um I want to thank you all for coming on uh, being present with us today. Um, obviously, being here on a Sunday together um, indicates our, your commitment to the Dharma, to recovery, um, to yourself and, and to each other, to our community. So that's a good thing. Um, as we were told, uh, the topic for today's uh, teaching originally um, came from the Lankavatara Sutra, and it is the expression Drista Dhamma Sukha Varein, which um, gets translated as dwelling happily in things as they are. And one of the reasons that I'm interested in that teaching and that topic um, is that uh, for those of us who've lived with addiction, um, struggled with that and with recovery and, and in addiction and recovery found our common bonds of trauma and toxic shame, um, I think we sometimes would think of that title dwelling happily with things as they are as, as um, simplistic or maybe a bit dismissive. But it's been my experience recently that given the state of our nation and the mental health system in our country, um, that there are a lot of folks who are walking around really um, suffering, really suffering and in pain and really feeling stuck there. And so I think it's really important um, for us as as people in the communities and the sanghas and in the fellowships, um, as well as as um, folks who are committed to each other to really have a second, uh, 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 some time to think about that. So specifically, um, um, there are uh, two things that the Buddha said that he came to teach. One was that there is suffering, and two is that there's an end to suffering. So that I think keeping that present um, in our work that we do with ourselves and and, um, as spiritual beings and community um, is really important. 
So we accept that. Um, and I think the other thing is that for those of us in recovery, in the big books um, that we use in recovery, right in the dead center of the book, um, on page 132, are two wonderful sentences that I really um, try to focus on, on days when my life is going well, and on days when my life or life with the uh, uh, person I'm working with not going so well. And on page 132, it says, we are not a glum lot. And the second sentence that's right in the middle says, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. So for me, the question is, how do we um, acknowledge and engage with the reality of suffering and allow ourselves to remember and understand and hold that there's also joy in everyone's life, that, that it's a very odd day where something um, for which we can be grateful and something which brings some context and balance doesn't happen. <clears throat> so the Buddhist teacher, Gil Fonsdale, says that renunciation is one of the most beneficial, empowering, and freeing practices in Buddhism. Um, its purpose is to heighten the best qualities of our hearts and minds, he teaches us. Um, and he uses the example, in fact, of abstaining from drinks or drugs as the fifth ethical precept um, is an important practice. So we welcome um, our suffering and delusions when they arise, we notice them, um, but we don't cling. We let them go and we acknowledge that happiness is also present. Not one, not two, not separate. So as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about the importance of Sangha and fellowship um, and friends. And I think it is when we talk to friends, when we, when we practice with friends, when we uh, recover with friends um, and teachers and sponsors and sponsees, um, we have this opportunity to keep a context about the work we're doing and the opportunity to really um, be of service, to work together. Um, and, and we all know that by being of service, um, we, we can uh, uh, keep. You can't keep it unless you give it away. And we get an opportunity to both keep and give away. So there's an oft-quoted saying in, in Buddhism um, that, that goes like about spiritual friendship that goes like this. One day, Ananda, the closest disciple of the Buddha, came up to the Buddha and said, Lord, I think that half of the holy life is the spiritual friendship association with the lovely. And the Buddha looked at Ananda um, peacefully and, and with love and said, that is not so, Ananda, do not say that. It is not half of the spiritual life. <clears throat> it is not half of the spiritual life. It is the whole of the holy life. So I think it's really important that, um, that that teaching of the Buddha that really instructs us to work together and to hold each other in suffering and to hold each other in joy and to make sure that we balance all of those things out. Ajahn Amaro, um, who um, was writing about this same quote, says that the Buddha was saying two things. One is the importance of friendship um, and also um, the intimacy with the lovely, which he interprets um, as being the ultimate truth or awakening. He says these two things support each other, are like-minded companions and associates in the spiritual path and our ability to awaken to that which is lovely. Um, so the word, as you probably all know, in, in Pali, in ancient text, uh, for friendship is kalyanamita. And it quite literally means lovely, kalyana, uh, and mita is friend. So it's having a, a lovely friend, a friend who can help you um, and who you can help um, to achieve the shared goals that you have. So that 
recent teaching that I was listening to from Ed Sadism, the abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center, um, he shared with us a teaching from the Udana, um, which is an ancient Pali text. And he says in this teaching, the Buddha is talking to Magaya, Magaya, Magaya excuse me, um, who was at that time his sole attendant. And Magaya wanted to go off and meditate under a beautiful mango tree that he had found, um, wanted to achieve enlightenment thought he had seen a model for this um, in the Buddha's um, awakening. So the Buddha said, mm, not a good idea. You should go wait till there's another monk. Don't go you know, by yourself um, and don't leave me alone. Also, the Buddha said, and, but he really insisted. And so the Buddha said, well, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. Um, so he went, uh, Magaya went and sat under the tree, and um, 24 hours later, his mind filled with doubt and desire and confusion. Um, he came back to the Buddha and explained that to him. Um, and the Buddha and the Buddha said, um, the Buddha said, well, you know, it's important um, that. <clears throat> that you understand that it is not just by sitting under the tree, um, but that there are things that, that we can do that encourage us. Um, uh, and he said, when the following five things the Buddha taught in that lesson. So he said, first is having, this is from the Buddha, having a good friend in the Dharma. Second, frequent conversations that inspire and encourage practice. Third, diligence, energy, enthusiasm for the good. Fourth, insight and permanence. So those are the five things that the Buddha said, if your mind is not liberated, these are the five things you can work on. And all the other four of those the Buddha taught come from having a good friend in the Dharma. So living according to the precepts happens when you have context with someone else. Frequent conversations obviously require multiple people. Diligence, energy, and enthusiasm um, best happen um, when, when working together. So how do we develop these relationships and work with them? Well, in recovery, we have sponsors and sponsees. We have people that we see at meetings or support groups that we might go to. Um, in Buddhism, of course, we have teachers and we form sanghas. Um, and all of those allow us to develop relationships. And Ajahn Amor teaches that according to him, um, relationships fall into two basic categories. In one kind of relationship, um, we relate to the other person with a sense of separateness. Um, the other person in the other kind of relationship, we do it with a sense of wholeness. So in the first kind, he tells us that the relationship of separateness hinges on a profound sense of me and you, self and other. Um, and this is sort of very concrete and solid. Um, we look to the other person to fulfill a need, um, something that we think that we need. And sometimes that's even a, a good rival or an enemy, but it's a sense of separateness. So this kind of relationship of friendship um, has the quality of dependency to it. In the other kind of friendship, the wholesome one, the wholeness one, um, uh, is where our association with another person is based not around the sense of self at all, um, but it's based on an attitude of relinquishment or unselfishness, of openness, um, rather than of neediness. And we can bring about um, truly spiritual relationships um, as we develop our mind and as we develop our mind um, with other people. So we develop this inner joy and a release from our own being without creating a state of, of uh, unwholesome dependence. So how can we recover? Um, how can we have our recovery in spiritual lives deepened um, by the ideas of friendship? So, you know, it's clear in the, 
in the big book again, um, when we talk about um, what we're supposed to do in step five, it says um, we should take some time, really careful time to figure out who and what we really are um, and followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. And in Buddhism, we have the concept of of meditative inquiry. Um, And we look at ourselves and we think about where we have fixed views, where we've been unwilling and in some cases genuinely unable to look where we're stuck. And we look for the incongruence between who we currently are and who we would like to be. So for those of us that practice in meditation and recovery communities, those two things obviously um, are very nicely intertwined with each other and allow us to take a good look at where we are and where by working with teachers and sponsors and good good spiritual friends, um, we can we can move um, together. It's also clear that we can't do this work alone, and we do it best in fellowship or as the Buddha taught in Kalyanamita. So I was looking at a book uh, this week that probably many of you have seen, or all of you maybe. Um, it's by Brene Brown, and it's called The Gift of Inspiration. And she says that when she did that sort of looking at her own life, um, she figured out um, and decided and admitted that she just simply couldn't go on anymore the way she was. So she took a look at um, who and what she had become um, and said, I can't do this anymore. And what she found by working with other people was that she needed to find a way to stay on her feet, to stay present um, in the present moment, no matter what was going on. So not just on good days, not just on bad days, but to just be able to stand, um, stand and go deep in terms of what was actually going on. So she talks about what she learned from the people that she worked with, and she worked with lots of folks. Um, and so um, <clears throat> what she said was that um, she learned that they cultivated two things. One was calmness and the other stillness, and that they made these two behaviors their norm so that they worked actively, as the Buddha said earlier, to get rid of that reactivity. Um, so calmness she defines as creating perspective um, and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. These are people who bring perspective to complicated situations and feel their feelings without reacting to heightened emotions like fear and anger. She also says very clearly, and I'm sure you agree, um, that remaining calm when people are um, being provocative or uh, aggressive or um, are frustrating you is a difficulty. And it's true for all of us. So this is not something that comes naturally to anybody, um, much less those of us who are dealing with uh, addiction and recovery. Um, It's a practice. And so how can we practice this? And I'm going to try and wrap up because we meditated a bit long and I think we're getting close to running out of time. But I'll just say a few more things. One is, how do we practice this and how do we deal with um, the things that do come up in life? Well, Brene Brown says herself, she stops whenever something is provocative or, or feels like a trigger for her. And she says, she asks this question, do I even have enough information right now to make a decision or form a response? So that's a teaching. Thich Nhat Hanh has a similar teaching. He says whenever anything provokes you, that you should stop and say, is it true? Is it useful? And is it necessary? 
and that by at stopping long enough to ask those questions, Grenades or uh, those of Thich Nhat Hanh, we get a couple things. One is you have a chance to answer, um, and the other is um, that in those moments that you take to ask those three questions, it's very possible um, that the urge to respond immediately will dissipate, and you won't have to do that. So stillness, she says, is much simpler. This is where we create a clearing. It's about opening up an emotionally clutter-free space and allowing ourselves to feel, think, dream, and question. So if we stop, um, we don't have to run around being busy all the time and trying to avoid the bad stuff or trying to chase the good stuff. The truth of our lives will catch up with us. We, and, and that's a, a, a wonderful way to move forward. So I had some other thoughts, but I don't want us not to have any time for questions. So feel free to put questions in the chat room or to ask questions of myself or anybody else in the group. Thanks, everyone. Well, while we're waiting, I'll just um, I'll just add for people to think about that one of the things is that many of us have been so um, hurt and damaged by the time we get to recovery or to, to the sanghas that we're not sure how to reach out to other people. Um, and in her wonderful book, Eight-Step Recovery, Vimala Sara offers some really wonderful advice that starts with just be kind to yourself. That's the first thing. And if you find yourself white-knuckling it, trying to go it alone, you know, saying that awful thing that we say to each other, it's okay, I got this. Um, that that's the time you know that you need compassion and that you should reach out. And she says, if you're not ready to reach out to another person yet, here's what you can do. You can reach out to a Volokitesvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion, uh, and just say, I need compassion, I need kindness, um, and I need to have the willingness to be willing um, to talk to other people. So that would be an important tool. Okay. Well, I think that might have brought us to our conclusion. Um, uh, I have a website, stephentierney.com. You can get a hold of me if you have any follow-up questions, um, um, uh, including, it looks like, some more details, which, which um, we're running out of time here, but I'll be happy to share them with you, um, Deborah, if, if, uh, if you send me a, a little email note, stephentierney.com. I just want to thank everyone for listening today and everyone that's been listening to our podcast. Like I said, I think we will be taking a couple week break. Um, I mean, if I get lucky, I will have my laptop back sooner than later and then I wouldn't have to take such a break. But unfortunately, my laptop's in the shop and it's just been really hard to get these recordings in and the podcasts in every week um, without my computer. So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again for to everyone listening. If you have the ability to share Donna or the desire to share Donna or donate to help keep the podcast going, help keep Buddhist Recovery Network going, um, help support the summits and the teachers and the conversations that we're trying to spotlight, um, yeah, go ahead and go over to buddhistrecovery.org forward slash donate and you can choose the option of um, donating towards the uh, choose the option that you just listen to the podcast there's a podcast option on the donate so it would uh, let our team know that people are appreciating the podcast and find that our podcast is a valuable resource to people so 
yeah, so if you aren't able to do that, obviously it's totally okay. Everything we offer is free. And just ending by dedicating all that we learned in the teaching today to those still suffering. May we all find what brings us peace and continue to share that peace with our communities. Thanks everyone.